everybody to Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybel Inc. I'm Pete Wright, and I'm here, as ever, with Howard Tybel. Good afternoon, Pete. What time is it there? It's 4 o'clock here, East Coast time. 108, 108, because I know you don't actually know where I am. Well, you're always in the same place. You never know where I am. That's, that's true. That's yes. the, that is the truth. And we uh, talked today, last time. Uh, today, so. you're, you're actually, I'm going to go ahead and uh, pull back the curtain. You're in your car again. Damn it. Did you have to tell me? I, I was did, hoping that I could get away. This is... Yeah. Innovation. This is embracing new technology. This is this, you, you can this drive. This is Chris Farley down by the river. <laughs> That's what this is. That's what it is. Uh, we we are going to be talking about innovating from the inside out today with a fantastic guest. But before we dig in, uh, make sure to head over to tybelink.com to learn more about us and this show. You can subscribe for free. Just click the blue button, and we will keep you updated with all the latest episodes. And you can join the conversation on Twitter at Howard Tybel or at Pete Wright. We'd love to hear from you and find Tybelink on LinkedIn. All right, here we go. When we you're go. on the when you're on the outside, when you're observing teams in action, right? This is this is your life, Howard. Flashing before life. you, you have the benefit of this unique perspective to offer these insights that lead to real change. That's that's outside consulting in a nutshell, and mm-hmm. and uh, this is is really the benefit of the consulting model and of teams engaging in external support to help lead change efforts. They need outside eyes to 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 help them really see what's right in front of them. Sometimes that gets gets uh, lost. Uh, but what happens when you move from the outside in? This week on Navigating Change, we are talking to Christian Recknigel about his work at Ben. Benchmark Construction, Christian moved from his role as a lead consultant at E4 Consulting to internal change management lead at Benchmark and faces this challenge of innovating from the inside out every day. He is a traitor to outside consultants everywhere. Christian, welcome to the show. Thank you, Pete. It's good to be here. I want to start with the most, I think, important question about you that has plagued me all week long in preparing for this show. Is your last name just a nightmare for autocorrect? (laughs) It's not not a nightmare for autocorrect, but it it has in my whole life been a nightmare for marketing mail. Oh, I'll bet. I'll bet. I have been writing you as Christian Rectangle all week, and everybody (laughs) corrects me thinking I'm a dope that I don't know who you are. He's not. It's like the the autocorrect is against me. It's not you. The worst I've ever gotten is Deck Waggle. (laughs) (laughs) And that was before autocorrect. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, that's a good one. Howard, tell us a little bit about uh, about uh, Christian Rectangle, and why you uh, why you wanted to have him on the show. Well, I had the pleasure of meeting Christian uh, when I did a workshop for the Ecubo uh, board, or actually it was a program committee and some board members a year ago. And Christian was part of, as you mentioned before, E4 Consulting that helped Ecubo and I believe continues to help Ecubo with how they're going to reinvent themselves or innovate in a way to to be of greater value to their customers. And I think you know this, Christian, is that when I um, I was actually one of the other consultants they were looking to have do the job, you won the gig over Tybal Inc. You probably knew this. And I remember thinking, wow, who is this E4 group? And then I was at an annual meeting and we saw this material, Pete, that they gave out at the at the big luncheon. And it was it was both a story of how we're innovating, but it was this beautiful, beautiful piece that E4 put together. And it was also telling the story of E4. So I I 
I fell in love with what you guys were doing uh, and, and immediately saw that you guys were offering fantastic value to Ikubo, and I fundamentally also believe that the pie is big enough. So I was very excited to see the work you did, and then I'm very excited to meet you in person. And now you are living the work as an inside guy helping your current company, Benchmark Construction, do its thing. So I just thought this would be a really good conversation to have because – how many institutions need people like Christian internal uh, to help them move forward? So that that's that's the background, Pete, that uh, that got me to uh, to want to have him be part of this. And he's also an awesome guy. We hung out uh, in a bar for hours, <laughs> right? No, not you, hours. You forgot it, this. It felt like hours. It felt like hours. <laughs> right, good. Yeah, exactly. But I, I'm I'm uh, I was really glad to. Have the opportunity. I've never been on a podcast, Howard. So you're you're uh, giving me a, an entree into the uh, the techno- technological communication world. Yeah, um, it's awesome. What what I remember is I didn't know that you were uh, one of the other firms vying for the Yakubo project. Um, I won't say I would have felt bad if I knew, but I wouldn't have felt as good now that I know you. Oh, look at that. I like that. Oh. I like, yeah, because we're becoming fast friends. So here's what I want to here's what I want to talk about. Uh, maybe start off by talking about what what was the transition like for you to go from having the kind of insights and support you can give to an institution and then for the most part say, listen, guys, I've done what I can. I've tried to empower you to do what you need to do to move forward. I'm now stepping back. It's in your hands. And now you're living that same conversation, but you get to be in the, you, you know, you come back the next day and you're going to keep being there. So what is that transition like? It was not a no-brainer. I was well positioned in being a professional in the work that we do around self-awareness, around leadership, around high-performance cultures, just because I could at least come in with as much self-awareness as possible. But as self-aware as you are going into a brand new environment uh, and and becoming a colleague and an employee uh, to the system that you've been serving. Uh, that's maybe a data point that wasn't shared is I was the lead consultant on a project with Benchmark Construction for about two years prior to coming on full time. Yep. And, um, uh, you know, I, what I learned over the last 18 plus years of, of working in culture change and leadership uh, expansion is the consultant is is necessary to be the catalyst and to confront uh, certain issues that the organization is either unable or unwilling to look at. Um, but if you don't get uh, internal um, commitment and if you don't have ambassadors within the system, uh, the likelihood of that change uh, elevating and expanding uh, is minimal. So. Uh, and as you know, with, with the work that, that you continue to do as an outside consultant, a lot of that work is identifying and preparing ambassadors to uh, mm. <clears throat> preach the gospel, if you will, as they um, are out in the system. But that still, if there's not, uh, what's different about my transition is this organization operated for 30 years and became a very successful regional construction company with no formal people function. 
So they had someone doing the benefits administration. They had someone uh, uh, making sure payroll was done. They had someone covering the uh, disability insurance and all the kind of transactional, mechanical, human capital management pieces. But there was no, and, and that was distributed. You know, someone was doing the drug testing and someone over here was doing the benefits and someone over here was doing the hiring, uh, yep. but it wasn't consolidated. And uh, we identified as a st strategic priority having that function. And as I was framing it for the organization, specifically the president of the company, uh, we really tried to position it as something that was more about growing leaders throughout the company from our field staff, and that's our laborers and carpenters out on all our construction sites, all the way up to our vice presidents, um, and institutionalizing or operationalizing the core purpose and the core values. So yes, that's great. what I'm accountable for. So here's what's, you know, as, as you talk about uh, getting, and there's different terms to describe this. I, I recently was leading a workshop and was talking about internal champions, and I asked the group, what do you mean by a champion? And it's the same thing that you were describing, uh, having ambassadors, right? But so it, let me ask you a question about something that I've been saying to people a lot. As I talk about groups, that there are three primary groups. There's the people who will go with you because they're, they're the champions, and they're actually eager for change, and they're a minority. Then you got the majority of people that will go with you, but you need to, they need to know why, they need to know what the benefits are, and they also need to know how they can be involved. And then I say there's a third group, and the third group is the group that will never change. And then I, you know, and I have percentages, and I say, you know what, we got to not confuse style, someone's difficult style, with being someone who is truly resistant. But here's the thing I'm, I'm particularly interested in your point of view on. I fundamentally believe that we do not – we need to change the language. We have a language out there that we have to get everybody to buy in. And what I'm telling more and more leaders, both on the academic and administrative side, that are trying to lead change projects is we need to get – enough people. We do not need to get everybody, and you will never get everybody to go with you. What I think is a healthy way of approaching change projects is recognizing that we need to lose the language. We need to get everybody to buy in, that somehow we can't be successful unless everybody buys in. I think the honest statement is we need to get enough people to buy in, and some people will choose to not go with us, and we can't make them. And I'm curious, when you think about the kind of change initiatives now that you're internal and having to work with folks, what do you think of this distinction between get all versus get enough momentum and then others will follow? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And I think the, the um, in addition to it, it's not just get enough, but get enough of the right people in the right positions. Yeah. And, you know, when you have enough of the right people in the right positions, and being ambassadors and being champions and standing for, and what standing for doesn't just mean, hey, we're going this direction. These are the kinds of behaviors we're looking for. This is how we need to approach this. We need to be focused on our goals, but also accepting the feedback and the conversation from people at every level if they're not behaving and acting aligned with it. Um, you know, over the years that I was an external consultant, what what I talked about, what what we were uh, very focused on was 
if the senior leaders, at least one senior leader, um, is not resolved to have this move forward, it's got a very low chance of, of success. I've seen that in real time um, coming into this transition. And it's one of the things that made the transition easier is I had no doubt that the president of Benchmark Construction was fully behind why I was here, what I was about, um, that, that any resistance that me or any of the programs that we've um, championed, uh, what, any of that resistance that came, he would be standing for, well, we're going to move this way or this is, you know, this is the direction we're going. So I think when you get enough of those people, what happens is the, the, the few, and I do believe it's few when you've got that kind of a, um, a commitment, that will never buy in. Some of them will quiet down and ride it out, and others will self-select. They'll find, exactly. or the other piece of it is, and what we've started to do, is you make these principles part of how you measure performance. And so people's success and their ability to continue um, advancing and growing is not just a function of are they meeting their deadlines and are they achieving on the projects and products that they're supposed to be delivering, but also are they living aligned with the cultural values that we've seen as a differentiator for us in the market. That there is this there's this cultural issue when you're coming into the inside where the, the culture has to change to adapt to, A, listening to new voices, right? Yours is a new voice coming mm -hmm. inside the organization, having, you know, and, and if you want to reflect a little bit on, on authority, external authority versus now internal authority, I think that's a really interesting mm -hmm. angle for both of you to reflect on. But the thing I'm most interested in is not only do they have to learn how to listen to you as a new voice, but how to listen to you saying new things that, mm -hmm. that are, you know, they have to adapt to hearing about how change is going to start happening in the organization and how they are going to need to adapt to this new lifestyle. Um, you know, how, with the exception, uh, you know, knowing that you've already discussed sort of the president's role in, uh, you know, supporting you and, and giving you some of that internal authority, uh, how do you handle helping people make that transition to, to understand who you are and, and the benefit that you ultimately hope to serve? in the institution patience and you know think 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 about the challenge of trying to talk about vulnerability to superintendents in a construction company yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's fun <laughs> <laughs> i mean some of the some of the the again some of the benefit that i have is uh you know i i worked uh, I, I i had minor jobs in construction when i was in high school and and, and college i played football uh, I'm a, a martial artist, so um, I, I bring some other pieces to my approach and to my communication uh, that um, allow me to connect in a particular way. Um, but really, I mean, patience is a, is a big piece of it and persistence um, yeah. and, you know, not wanting or expecting anything to change on any schedule. There's enough external um, uh, motivators in terms of our clients and our markets that are asking for t particular things. And there's enough demand from the volume of work that's coming in that's asking us to grow so fast and hire new folks on that uh, that's enough motivation for people to uh, 
be receptive or at least be in the room. Um, and then it's just a matter of, uh, of patience, being persistent, and doing as much as you can to understand the world they live in. I mean, one of the commitments I made when I came on is I spend at least a half a day, if not a whole day, out in the field. I put my jeans on. I put my work boots on. And these guys, I'm, a, I'm an unskilled laborer, and I'm just working. I'm sweeping floors. I'm picking up um, <clears throat> materials. Uh, I'm, I'm doing what I can to help hang a door, and I'm listening. Uh, and, and that really provides me with a lot of... Um, it's not it's not skill based construction credibility, but it's credibility in the sense that I'm not here with all the answers. That's right. But I do have some perspectives, and I'm going to try to communicate these answers in the way that you can best hear them. And and I'll tell you something, Christian. That's that's a message that's important for anybody listening. And as you know, that the most the majority of those that are listening to this podcast uh, work uh, or live in the higher ed space. And the idea that you go into a conversation, no matter who you are, if what you want to do is affect the faculty and you live in finance or HR or advancement or any of the service-focused areas within higher ed, you go into a conversation with faculty, your job is to understand them first before you go to them with, this is what I need from you. And the same is true in some ways of faculty. If faculty want to get a deeper connection and commitment from those on the administrative side, it's critical to go in with an open mind and an open heart. Let me learn about what you're up to before I tell you what I need from you. It's a way of building trust. And that's fundamentally when I picture you sweeping, I see that what you're showing them is that you're, you're, they can let their guard down because anytime somebody sees, and you experience this, I'm sure many times as an outsider, you know, the senior leadership decides to bring in a consulting firm and, you know, the the people we're trying to influence are rightfully skeptical when we walk in the door and we have to find a way pretty effect, uh, effectively and efficiently to build trust on their end. And it's as simple as what you just said. We got to go in without the answers. We got to be, go- we got to go in being willing to just listen. And, and yeah. I think that's, that's at the heart of what, I, and, and I'll tell you, my experience is most of us need that reminder. You know, you and I are in the business where we know how valuable it is. We've been practicing it for years and years and years. But do you agree that when you look at others, you're, you're trying to help them be better at their jobs? Don't you find that people have a hard time leading with, I don't have the answers? They want to lead with, here's, yes. what, here's what I need to do. Yeah, and, you know, the, the, I think the, the idea of trust is, is an interesting one. I'm the vice president of leadership and culture. I have a director of employee growth who we work very closely together. And um, she'd been here for three years. She jumped around to some different roles. Um, the president elevated her to this employee growth position about three months before I came on full time. And so, you know, there was a little bit of uncertainty. She knew of me. I worked with her a little bit peripherally on some recruiting and selection um, work that we did as as we were serving them in a consulting role. But um, you know, when I came on, there was a, just a, there's obviously an awkwardness, right? There's, there's, uh, I didn't, her, her position was, I didn't even get to establish my role yet. And then you're here. Right. And the, our early first conversation, I really wanted to establish, 
the grounding for our working relationship. And I, I basically said, you know, I want us to, to, as fast as we can, I want us to, to find a good groove. And she said, well, you know, that, 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 that's, that's fine. It'll, it'll take a little while. And I said, no problem. I get it. I know it'll take a while. And I said, what I want to do is I want you to share with me what I need to do to make that a while shorter than it normally is. <laughs> so if you give me some information to help me make that, streamline that normal that it, that it takes, yeah. that'll be great. And then I said, and here's the thing, I understand that there may be um, some trust that needs to be built. What I need you to know is I trust you from the get-go. You don't have to build any trust with me. I've learned that if I start fully trusting you, we're going to ramp up a lot more quickly. And, you know, really you could see the, wait a minute, that, is, that, that, is that possible? It was a, a very new thought. And I couldn't believe how quickly we ramped up and got connected and found a groove and really are, I mean, even as far as, and you, you know this, uh, Howard, co-facilitation can be one of the more challenging things to do. Yes. Especially if it's not someone who, you know, has had some traditional training. But one of the key pieces is that trust piece. And we've really found a groove in uh, leading, co-leading meetings together that I just, I couldn't have imagined. You know what's really magical about just the way you frame that is it's a reminder that, um, and, and I, I should preface this by saying I think when I, you know, my own experience, when I see outsiders move to becoming insiders, there is a natural distrust. But when you ask the question like that, uh, you know, you you have to really force yourself to to reflect on now why do i not trust this person like i don't know them i don't all i know is what i am told i have no reason not to trust them they right. they have uh, they already have an a in my book it's their grade to lose so why do we waste so much time uh, not giving each other the benefit of the doubt both as an insider com- or an outsider coming in and an insider welcoming new voices uh, I, I that is a uh, i think that's a, a terrific sort of parable to that and line i think of thinking. the answer to your question pete about why we don't is we've never been um uh uh, I'm not not never been, but m- many of us have not learned how to have that conversation when the A drops to a, a B. Yeah, and to be able to confront that effectively, I believe it's actually easier when it's already an A and it drops to a B as opposed to hey we're starting at an F and we'll see if you can get an A. Exactly. Uh, but that that's and that's again a big part of why we're what we're doing here at Benchmark is you know supporting leaders to be able to have those crucial conversations. But you know it's one thing t- to share with you the the five listening skills and the four elements of you know having an honest conversation. It's another thing for someone to have the shift in their mind to want to do that authentically. That is such a good reminder for anybody. And not just a reminder, as Pete, you're saying, I, I think that is, a, that is a reversing 180 degrees, suggesting that can we allow ourselves, you know, can anybody listening to this allow themselves to go into a new conversation and say, I have no reason to not trust you, eh? because I think the default mode is I have no reason to trust you. I have yes. no evidence yet. We've been brought up to think, and part of this is our histories, right? We've been burned before, but somehow we then make a rule about that as opposed to let's start from a place of trust 
And so what's interesting about that, Christian, when I think about it, is um, if I assume that our relationship is going to start from an F and work towards the positive, I can spend more time acknowledging the things that you do right. And everybody wants to, it's much easier to talk about what you're doing right versus what you're doing wrong. If I start from the presumption that I trust you and then something doesn't go well, I have to have the willingness and the language to talk about what just happened that moved us from an A to a B so we can get back to where we were. And Mm -hmm. part of this is... uh, people being naturally conflict averse. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I think that we just have a, a mindset that we we don't want to have, we want to minimize as much as possible being in a difficult conversation. You're saying, and this, and this is likely why you're in the role you're in, you have that ability and, and the confidence to go in from this place of strength and then if something moves in the other direction, you can sit down with respect and and talk with somebody about it. And, and my, my guess is the other person is not going to feel defensive. You're not putting them in a position where it's about you're wrong. It's like you're talking about the issues that, that, are, that are front and center. People hear a problem with another person or a problem with – something going on between two people is I have an issue not with your idea. I have an issue with you. And we were, we're uncomfortable having a conversation and don't know how to lift it out of that uh, personalizing it. Yeah. Both in our speaking and both in our, in our listening. The, the chicken and the egg around high performance is either you can act yourself into a new way of thinking or think yourself into a new way of acting. And so sometimes <laughs> you get the insight and you have a new thought. And now you start acting differently. But sometimes you do um, want to provide people with a tool. So we've really worked hard here at Benchmark to reframe the idea of feedback and and make it not about doing things right or doing things wrong, but you know, either you're meeting or exceeding the expectations that the business has for you in your role, or you need to change some things in order to do that. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we use the term, um, uh, Mike Callahan's the president of the company. He went to a, a leadership um, retreat and learned the plus delta um, nomenclature. I use appreciative uh, and constructive, but here at Benchmark, okay. we use the, the plus delta saying, here's the plus information where you're meeting or exceeding expectations. Here's the delta information, meaning change. Here's what you could change to be even more effective than you are. And when you can communicate that and frame that, and you know wh- what I believe is very innovative here at Benchmark is we four times a year, and we're working on our second year now, with all of our field employees. So these are the superintendents, the foremen, the carpenters, the laborers, the people out on the construction night every day from 7 to 3.30. Four times a year, the superintendents sit down with a carpenter, and they have this conversation. So the superintendent shares with the carpenter, here's what I think you're doing well as a carpenter, here's where I think you could be even more effective. And right in that same conversation, the carpenter says to the superintendent, Here's what I think you're doing well as a superintendent, and here's what I think you could be doing to be more effective. Which, you know, in the command and control, somewhat militaristic um, historical culture of construction, that's a pretty innovative thing. And it was extremely difficult for the, probably the first year. But now people are 
finding that not only are they having those conversations those four times a year, but they're much more comfortable having more productive conversations in the moment when performance needs to be adjusted. Where, are you, where do you feel like you're meeting or exceeding expectations or getting from your perspective in the work that you're doing? I think what, I, what I've done well and I think met expectations on is um, establishing the real value of uh, focusing on the leadership side of the equation. Construction companies are great at managing things mm. because that's what construction sites need. Steel, concrete wood, uh, metal frames, they're all, they all need to be manipulated, controlled, and analyzed, and you know, budgets the same way to be successful. I've never met a person who loves to be controlled, manipulated, or analyzed. So <laughs> making a case for that leadership side, the inspiration, the connection, the engagement, um, uh, I think I've, I've established that as something that adds value. Um, and I think the, the real tactical thing that we've done is we've established a pretty precise and strategic approach to recruiting and selection on the office and field side. So we've, we're ramping up, we're growing, we're having to hire um, uh, pretty quickly, and we're doing it effectively and finding people that better meet both the cultural and the technical expectations that we have. On the Delta side, I think I, I need to be... Um, more conscious of the real difference between being a leader on a construction site uh, and being a leader uh, in the administrative or office uh, elements of the job. Um, and I learned a lot about that. We established a program. We just finished up a six-month program where we brought 12 office staff from each function of the, of the administrative side of the business, so um, pre-construction estimating, uh, accounting, uh, leadership and culture, uh, and 12 field leadership. So superintendents form, and they all came into a room together, which never happened before. And we talked about for three hours, once a month, leadership principles, coaching and feedback, um, high performance teams, leadership mindset. Um, and I, I, I underestimated how really different the world is when you're driving to a site at 6.30 in the morning and having to manage the, you know, multiple subcontractors and the, uh, you know, the safety environment that you have to be aware of as opposed to driving into an office and sitting in a chair to, um, you know, have a lot of meetings and filter through email. Uh, mm -hmm. So I think I've learned a lot about that. And, and as we move forward, I'll be much more deliberate about framing something like coaching and feedback in a more specific way that supports the field's environment than supports the office environment. That's fantastic. Seeing the, the language that you're using in describing these relationships and hearing how this is transforming the relationship between supervisor and, and, and you know, laborer in the field uh, is, I think, really magical. And it goes back to me about I, I'm sitting here graphing. I'm literally graphing uh, the spectrum of relationships as as a, a matter of trust over time. Mm -hmm. And with coaching and with this sort of the way you frame language, uh, or, or, you know, plus delta, however you want to call it. Call it mm -hmm. compressing 
that relationship increases trust over a shorter amount of time. It's just really magical. I think that's that's a great lesson learned for me today. So I'm gonna, now I'm going to challenge myself to use the word magical in the construction industry. I, I, da- like I triple dog dare you <laughs> to use that and triple dog dare. You should use that too. find a way to work that in. So how does this, from your perspective, Christian, uh, relate to higher ed? Uh, when you think about your contribution to the association uh, and and really getting to know these higher ed leaders, in many cases on the support side, all the way up to the cabinet level and maybe even presidents, when you think about the contribution you're making in a for-profit industry and you think about trying to apply these principles in higher ed, do, do, you, do you think that they they convert? Uh, one-to-one, or do you think there is something fundamentally different in a higher environment that we have to approach it differently? I'm just curious about your perspective there. I think there is, there, there's definitely a different historical sense of urgency. You know, in the, in the for-profit, in the construction world, you know, there's, uh, we either have jobs or we don't. And if we don't have jobs, then we don't, we can't provide jobs. Higher ed historically has been different. They're up against some, some significant challenges. Um, but I think, you know, the, the um, mindset of uh, being mission-driven uh, and being uh, very attentive to the principles and the, you know, kind of academic endeavor uh, at the, the risk of understanding that People are shopping for different places to get that experience. Um, I think that's where the lessons can be applied, uh, and I think the principles are are the same. So, you know, one of the, one of our uh, key markets is higher education, and so we're working very hard to get a better understanding of the environment that education is under, and the pressures that they're having to face. That's good. Because it's not just the economic pressures; it's also the, you know, their, their, their customers, and that was one of the interesting things that we faced as a consultant with Iacubo was helping them start to, you know, ask themselves, hey, can we actually talk about customers? I thought we had students or I thought, you know, um, but I think, you know, the, their customer is asking for something different. They want different things. And yeah. by the way, I'm a customer as a construction company um, looking for highly qualified um, producers. So I want people who can come in and help problem solve right away, who are going to be able, willing to think differently, who are going to be willing to trust us right away so that they're not waiting to prove themselves. Um, so, you know, I think that that's where um, those are the kinds of things that the uh, uh, leaders in the higher ed institutions the case they need to make to the different constituencies. Every institution has this view that somehow they're not in the same category as an institution that might not might be considered having really challenged shared governance. But I think when you're so close to it, yep. you, f- you fail to realize the difference between uh, collaboration and cooperation. True collaboration is about recognizing the needs of the other 
And cooperation is about I'll give you this if you give me that. Mm-hmm. And I think we've got we've got a long way to go, but but the conversations are more on the table to say how do we transition from thinking about this as purely a power relationship, who's got the power to do what, as opposed to faculty, administration, and boards. We are in this together, and if we're going to get ourselves through it as an institution, we have to find a way to come together and, and be in conversation together. It's interesting to think about you in the context of facilities and and, mm-hmm. and appealing to the facilities directors and the chief business officer that they understand that you both understand the nature of their industry, which is higher education, but you also bring something even more than they could expect from most other construction companies. And I'm convinced that that is one of the added values that you and Benchmark bring is that is, is a deeper appreciation for what it means to step into some other culture. Well, we'll have to get back together again in six months or so and see if there's any data to support that. Because I'm with you. I just don't have any data to support it yet. This is a great conversation. Uh, Christian, thank you so much for uh, bringing your time and, and wisdom to the show today. We really appreciate this. Oh, it's my pleasure. Where where would you like people to go to learn a little bit more about Benchmark? Well, the best place to go is we've just uh, rebranded and launched a new website, which is uh, benchmarkgc.com. Uh, and we're a regional construction company in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and our markets are higher education, healthcare, and senior living. So that's the best place to look for us. You see a whole a new uh, a new uh, headshot of myself somewhere in that website too. Oh yeah, well, you're, awesome. this is this is the the casual. Uh, Christian headshot that you sent us for our website, right? Well, it's as, it's, it's as casual as construction gets. I tell people up until eight months ago, I think I wore a tie six times in the past 15 <laughs> years, and I haven't worn a tie six times in the last eight months. So Wow. Well, it's a great shot. What can I say? Hey, thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. Hey, uh, thank you, uh, Howard Teibel, for your uh, your time and attention today from the road once again. Oh, this is great. This is great. I mean, and and... Genuinely, Christian, you, you, there's so much that I can learn from you, uh, and, and, and there's no question our listeners can, listen, can learn. I mean, I think we just touched the surface. We could, we could deconstruct any one of those topics and spend time talking about them. So let's do this again. Okay, I will. But I'm going to have a beer next time we do it. We can make that happen. You know what? We'll all have a beer at the same time. That's right. right. Sounds good. All right. Cool. Vice President of Leadership and Growth, Christian Recknagel from Benchmark Construction. Find out more about Benchmark at BenchmarkGC.com. Thank you so much. On behalf of Christian and Howard, I'm Pete Wright, and we will catch you next week on Navigating Change, the podcast from Tidal Inc. Tidal Inc.